Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. Welcome to Ask the Trucker Live. Uh, Tonight, our show, look at trucking from both sides. And for those of you who are wondering why are we having a Friday evening show, uh, I thought your shows were on Saturday with Alan Smith hosting. Uh, Well, Alan got called away this weekend, so here we are. I'm Donna Smith, uh, Alan's co-host. And since the name of the show is Ask the Trucker Live, I've invited a couple of veteran drivers on with us tonight to assist with the hosting, uh, Jerry Fritz and Pat Hockaday. Uh, Jerry and Pat are not just veteran drivers, but they're also vocal truck driver advocates and extremely passionate about the issues facing professional drivers. We're also thrilled to have as our guest tonight, Joe Rakovich, and I hope I'm saying um, saying his name right. I'm going to open your line, Joe. Hold on a second. Um Okay, Joe, did I pronounce your name right? <laughs> close, close enough, Rakovich. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, anyway, Joe's going to be with us, and he's he's absolutely no stranger to trucking. Um, uh, he's been going for over 40 years, right, Joe? Yeah, that's that's correct, oh. since the 70s. <laughs> okay. And he's been a company driver, small business owner, operator, regulatory affairs specialist for OIDA, um, and the Western States Trucking Association, uh, which uh, represents carriers, including 40% of the existing membership consisting of one truck owner operators with their own operating authority. So um, Mr. Uh, Rokovich presently monitors both state and federal regulatory and legislative issues impacting the trucking industry for the Western States Trucking Association. The association's focus is on representing small business motor carriers and owner-operators and assisting new entrant motor carriers in getting their authority. Um, Joe also communicates association positions on transportation issues in print, radio, and as a conference speaker, as well as managing, writing, and assembling content for the association's monthly news magazine, the Western Transportation News. And finally, also represents the association in various uh, forums, such as the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, American Road and Transportation Builders Association, and trade shows, and as well as uh, writes association responses to the relevant state and federal rulemakings, uh, drivers are all uh, familiar with the federal rulemakings, and testifies at public hearings on behalf of the association. So, 
For tonight's show, we want to be able to discuss many of the issues going on within the industry and look at them from both sides, the carrier and the driver. And um, looking at, at your association, you kind of like are fall right in the middle of all that, Joe. You represent carriers and drivers both with the small owner-operators. Uh, I've personally had the pleasure to speak to our guest, and although we may have um, some very distinct different views on some of the issues facing drivers today, we also have much in common, and we'll go over much of that on tonight's show. Uh, one of the main differences, however, and um, one of the big big differences is uh, related to truck driver wages, and it's what we know as the Denim language, uh, which has been attempted to be included in two recent bills and uh, will be up once again for the vote, um, most likely in the THUD bill. Basically, uh, there is presently an aggressive attempt to limit a state's ability to allow for any anything other than uh, driver compensation except for their mileage pay, so um, no all work included type of deal. Uh, the attempt is being made uh, by this attempt by the, the ATA and a few other organizations has been um, Congress with the ob objective to preempt the state labor laws using the language in the Federal Aviation Authorization Act of 1994, which uh, really the intent, it was meant to ensure states complied with freight deregulation. Now, a month ago, we had a show on this, and um, I wish Alan was here, but he's not, so I'd like to play for you uh, how Alan explained it in his introduction to that show. So um, I'm just going to hold on a Give me a second here. Okay. So this was the way he explained it uh, about a month ago when we had a similar show. And we've had a lot of shows regarding truck driver pay with uh, most drivers agreeing that they should be paid for all working time. And it's well known within the industry that drivers work anywhere from 20 to 40 extra hours a week doing tasks other than driving. And much of those hours, as we all know, are waiting at the docks. And it's not uncommon for a trucker to wait several hours or more. Uh, I've done it myself. I've sat at docks for uh, uh, 24 hours or more, 24 to 36 hours myself. So some companies will pay drivers after two hours, others not at all. But the sad thing is many drivers have accepted that this is the norm. But the argument that is most disturbing is when a carrier will defend not paying drivers for all time by saying that it's calculated in your cents per mile. So my uh, response to that is really, and, and how is that? I would like for them to explain that to me. I mean, perhaps if you look at it as it was calculated decades ago in the 80s maybe, but the fact that drivers are making the same pay, most drivers, the majority of drivers, as they were back then, tells me that CPM cents per mile is most definitely not compensating for those 30 to 40 hours per uh, week extra work time on top of the driving. So drivers now want to be compensated for their time to make up for the fact that their wages have stayed stagnant while the cost of living has increased significantly. And uh, which brings us to tonight's show and what and why the trucking industry is doing to ensure drivers continue to be paid only their 
piecework wages and nothing more. And as a matter of fact, the ATA has made it very clear that a top priority that they have this year is to have a bill passed which will use federal law to override federal court rulings and preempt state labor laws which are there to protect employees. And since November uh, 2015, the ATA and other organizations have been attempting to interpret the intended meaning of the Federal Aviation Administration Authorization Act, the F4A, in an attempt to prevent drivers any possibility of ever being paid for anything other than the miles they drive. Okay, well, that was Alan uh, just about a month ago on a, a show we had, and I just figured, I, 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 you know, I can't say it any better than that, so I figured that was the best way to, um, to open up. Well, it's going to be a great show. Um, I'm going to open up the lines when we get back for uh, Jerry and Pat also, but we're going to start in with, uh, with uh, Joe, our guest Joe Rokovich, and um, we're going to take a quick break break from uh, one of our very trusted sponsors so just hold on you're listening to ask the trucker live with alan smith on blog talk radio don't go anywhere alan and donna will be right back Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, and you are listening to Ask the Trucker Live. I'm Donna Smith, sitting in for Alan Smith tonight, and our show is looking at trucking from both sides. Um, I'm fortunate tonight to have two co-hosts, um, Jerry Fritz and Pat Hockaday. Guys, I'm going to open up your lines now uh, while we bring on Joe. Let's see. Jerry, you're on. Pat, you're on. Hey, guys. Um, but I'd like to bring our special guest, uh, Joe Rockovich with the Western States Trucking Association. So, um, hey, Joe, how are you doing tonight? Thanks for spending your Friday uh, Friday evening with us. We sure do appreciate it. Of course, it's not Friday evening in California. You're still in the afternoon over there, right? Yeah, well, glad to be here, Don, and yes, just, just finish lunch. Okay, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> But uh, well, we're thrilled you're here, and um, we actually got to talk a little this week, and 
And um, I think I was surprised, I don't know if you were, that we did differ on things, especially, you know, the denim language and things like that. But there were a lot of things we did agree upon. So, um, you know, we'll touch on all that during the show. And I bet a lot of listeners, you know, they already know you, many many probably from um, when you were with OIDA. You were there a long time. What, about 24 years? No, I was I was I was a member for about 24 years, but uh, on the board oh. of directors for a little over a decade, and uh, oh, okay. now since their director of regulatory affairs for about six years. Oh, okay. So, um, so you're you're no stranger to the to the driver's side of things, that's for sure. Um, you were a driver, you're an owner operator, and so this this will be a great show because you can relate to a lot of all this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Western States Trucking Association, um, a little bit maybe about their goals also for the industry? Sure. Well, I am the Director of Governmental Affairs and Communications for the Western States Trucking Association. Uh, it's actually the oldest independent nonprofit trucking association in the U.S., and by independent, uh, we're not aligned. We're not an ATA affiliate at all. Um, we've been here. We just celebrated our 75th anniversary as a nonprofit. We originally founded in 1941, and uh, my job is to basically bird dog, you know, government affairs. And mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the things that uh, falls into the, the sandbox on government affairs are things like uh, Representative Jeff Denham's uh, amendment to clarify. Uh, the Federal Aviation Administration Authorization Act of 94's prohibition against states from from involving themselves in the uh, prices, routes, and services of motor carriers. And, right, and this, <clears throat> there are there are exemptions in the F4A, uh, mm-hmm. primarily safety exemptions. So traditional state police powers. Um, are still reserved for the states, you know, so they can still pull over a big truck and do an inspection. Uh, but it, it was fairly limiting language in terms of what states could do to involve themselves in the trucking industry. Now, before I go any further, Donna, I do want to say something. Our sure. association is predominantly made up right now uh, still of construction trucking firms. And... Mm-hmm. For those companies that operate in intra-state commerce, portal-to-portal pay has been the name of the game forever and a day. It's the way it's done. Portal-to-portal is exactly what you're talking about, hourly pay from start to finish. You begin the day doing a free trip, you're on the clock. That's how it works, always has. What the uh, denim amendment language uh, is is going after is not anything like that. States still will have reserved rights to regulate their intra-state trucking related to meals and rest breaks. There's two pieces of the denim language. It's uh, A, and that's related to meal and rest breaks, and B is related to payment compensation methods to drivers. And if I could, I'd like to set up why this became an issue. It was not an issue a number of years ago. It, it, okay. uh, it was a pretty pretty clear separation between the states and the feds. Uh, 
Ann Farrow's Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration filed a seminal brief. I talked with Ann after this happened. I said, you just screwed up trucking big time. And they filed a seminal brief in a case called uh, uh, Diltz v. Penske. And it's uh, the driver's Mickey Diltz. And this case just settled a couple of weeks ago out of court for $750,000, which was fascinating to us because that was, uh, that was the ground zero case that started all this. And that was a case that was uh, allegedly worth tens and tens of millions of dollars. Um, from an association standpoint, we thought that was a horrible case for the, for, uh, to try and defend the F4A exemption. And why do we think that? That case involved drivers who were local pickup and delivery drivers working out of a warehouse. Uh, basically, you know, appliances were coming in uh, one side, being warehoused, and then going out the other side in order to be delivered under a very, very well-known federal standard of what constitutes the end of interstate commerce. It's when the load comes to arrest. And those loads were coming to rest when they came into that warehouse, and then they converted, in our opinion, to an intrastate load. Hence, the F4A should have never been argued. But as often happens uh, in our industry, uh, exempt, uh, exceptions are taken to the rule, and, they, and people attempt to push the envelope to gain an advantage. And that's what we view happened here in Diltz v. Penske. We view it as a horrible case for defending the F4A exemption. And as it turned out, it ended up um, turning interstate trucking, interstate trucking on its head in our view. Well, I think I think basically what they've done is, um, you know, I've got Jerry and, and Pat's lines open. It's kind of an open forum sen- uh, setting as far as all of this. So, um but in 1994, just so everybody understands, because a lot of people, uh, Joe, aren't even getting what the, um, the F-4A is. So in yeah. 1994, Congress passed the Federal Aviation Authorization Administration Act um, in effort to, to actually deregulate the aviation and trucking industries, okay, and that was uh, referring to freight. Um, What the 1994 Act did, it said that the state or local laws that significantly impact prices, routes, or services of motor carriers are nullified. Um, Now, the the trucking industry, as Joe said, is saying that the 100-year-old labor laws of of many of these states uh, are impacting prices, routes, and services. And basically, uh, what, what these will take Washington, California, and I think Oregon, uh, what they do is they say, look, you know, you, you can take a rest break. You don't have to. In 2012, they changed that where you don't have to take the break, but your employer will pay you for it, um, uh, and you can take your 30-minute meal break. And that's not paid for, but you're entitled to that, which you also have to take a 30-minute break anyway federally. And plus, you will be paid for all your time. And that's basically uh, what it what it says in California. Um, I, now, do you agree with that? I would uh, actually, um, uh, you 
you mentioned that you don't need to take the break. Now, right. when it comes to an intrastate driver, at, in, under California's Industrial Welfare uh, uh, Code, the uh, driver, any employee, is to be <clears throat> afforded a 10-minute break every after four hours of work, and that's that's on. It's considered on-duty time. In other words, they are paid for it. Right. And one of the things that happened here, uh, that happened here in California, and it's one of the reasons we're such a, a critic of what has been going on, and frankly a supporter of what Jeff Denham is trying to do, is that these laws that were uh, very well uh, respected by intrastate trucking, you're right when you talk about what the F4A was about in 95. Uh, it was about deregulating intrastate markets. The California Public Utilities Commission no longer could regulate uh, the prices, routes, or services of motor carriers offering intrastate service in the state. Texas Railroad Commission went through, you know, was was one of the most powerful transportation agencies in the U.S., and they they themselves got denuded by this. But uh, in the end, uh, what has happened here is that. You know, opportunistic lawsuits are happening against small business motor carriers because of something that's happened to large carriers. I get there is no empathy for a Walmart, for a Schneider. Both of these motor carriers and their motor carrier operations have paid out tens and tens of millions of dollars to settle uh, uh, cases of violating uh, California's um, wage orders. These are for drivers that were working predominantly in intrastate commerce. And the problem is, is when that happened, nobody has sympathy for them. The lawyers move downstream and start shaking down everybody else, in the, down to the, the lowest common denominator. We have a member who started out as an owner-operator, built up a small company into five trucks, He's an interstate motor carrier, runs from Northern California into Northern Nevada. And he, we took his case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, meal and rest break violations, and uh, he now owes $2.2 million uh, And what does he owe that money meal. for? Pardon? What, what does he owe that money for? For alleged violation of California's meal and rest break law. This is something... When the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals made the decision they did in Mickey Diltz v. Penske, it overturned something. What it did is it opened the door to every motor carrier being held liable for violations that up until then were not viewed as violations of the law. It completely think, changed oh, everything. Now, do you yeah, think they weren't, consi- they weren't considered violations because... Uh, the drivers weren't aware of the California law that they could be paid for all time and uh, and their rest break. And, again, I want to reiterate, they, the drivers don't have to stop every 10 minutes, uh, every four hours for 10 minutes. That, that's, that's Donna, one of, the things that, one, of, one of the things that's happened in many of these cases, and, and we are as an association at ground zero in what is happening, Lawyers are sending drivers into companies that have ads out for drivers, and these drivers are hiring in, and 30 days later the motor carrier gets sued. And the drivers will make allegations 
that I was not provided time to take the 10-minute break. We tell every one of our members, you tell them to take the 10-minute break and you make them document it. It's the only way to protect yourself from this kind of stuff that's going on out here where drivers are being hired and then they turn around and sue. So when you say that the driver doesn't have to take the break, a motor carrier, an employer today is a fool not to insist on the break and more importantly insist on the recording of that break because if they don't do that, they they suffer the consequences of the driver turning around and making the allegations it was not provided and hence the liability follows. <clears throat> were these well, were these yeah, were these drivers Yeah. I just want is, you to know your lines are open. My question is these drivers in question were they paid piecework wages or were they being paid hourly? Because that has some bearing on this. Actually, uh, they, they've been paid a combination of either or. They've been paid a combination of either or. Okay, okay. because as you, it gets as more, you know. It gets more, yeah, it, it gets more um, dicey when you bring in the specter of the uh, meal breaks. So, you know, because you got two parts here. you got the rest break, which if they're paid hourly, they're supposed to be paid for that anyhow. So there, there's not a, comp, a complication there. It, the complication can come in on the meal break uh, because if the allegation is it wasn't provided, then the law provides for a penalty assessment of, of an hour's pay, uh, on-duty pay, for not providing. Well, well, Correct. Here's the thing, Joe. Um, first of all, the drivers have to take a 30-minute break federally anyway. And if they don't want to take the the meal break, um, they don't have to. They don't get paid for the meal break, but uh, they they don't have to take it. And if um, if the carrier says, "Listen, you know we're running tight. You know, uh, can you skip your meal break?" Yes, I can. All they have to do is pay them an hour wages for that. So well, wait, wait, um, Donna. Well, wait, Donna. You're you're going a little step overboard there. Um, the, the the employer has to make the half hour break available to them. And Absolutely. I was just reading something. They the, the employee cannot manipulate that half hour towards their benefit. I mean that's written in the law. I don't have it up in front right. of me that's, right now. That's a whole and you've got to be careful though. of that. The the, the employer has to tell the employee, I need you to work through your lunch break and I am going to pay you an hour premium, what they call premium pay, for doing so. <clears throat> now, the, the uh, rest break, the rest break, a driver on mileage pay, and I'm mainly concerned with over-the-road drivers, interstate drivers, a driver being paid mileage pay in California now, they are supposed to receive two checks, one check for their mileage pay and a check for their rest, detention, all of their non-productive time. So this makes accounting easy. Uh, if the driver on mileage pay, for any reason at all, is not able to or does not want to take the rest break, they don't have to. They're going to get paid anyways on their second check. The mill there break is, no is where it kind of gets complicated. There is no requirement for a second check in the state of California. It does not exist. No, uh, it's all done on I'm, one I'm, check. 
I, so I, I beg your pardon. There is no, no requirement I beg your pardon. For, for a second check. I'm here. I well, deal we'll with look that up. Every we'll day. look that up and um, yeah, you know start well, trying we'll right now. Uh, but getting back to it, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing with this, and and you know, I know Jerry's listening with his ears perked, um, is is the wage issue, and I don't think this would even be an issue. Have uh, drivers been paid a if their cents per mile had risen since the 80s? Um, Alan said he was making the same pay in the 70s. So, anyway, uh, if that wasn't for the an purposes issue. for the purposes of this discussion, Donna, it it yeah. might be pretty uh, pretty helpful and useful to separate out uh, the drivers who are already hourly paid and work in intrastate commerce from the issue of drivers operating in interstate commerce. Okay, we because can this do is that. Fundamentally, fundamentally, for the most part, it doesn't mean there's not violations of the law. That, that does happen. Um, but are they across the board on the intrastate side? The answer is no, they're not. Um, just one more thing about the meal break issue and getting paid uh, an extra hour's wages. There is a provision that allows for, under mutual consent between the driver and the motor carrier, where the meal break can be waived. And there is to be a one-hour penalty for that. It doesn't count towards overtime. Yes, there is overtime for intrastate drivers in California. They are specifically exempted from the state's overtime laws. They are not exempted from federal overtime because the uh, federal exemption under the Fair Labor Standards Act is for truck drivers whose hours of service is governed by the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. And drivers who work in intrastate commerce are not governed by those laws, hence they must be paid overtime. And that's, that's well known by every trucking employer in this state. Okay. Joe, uh, Joe this is Jerry Fritz. How do you do, young fellow? <laughs> Joe, I'm, Jerry, good, I'm, I'm good to hear of, you from you again. Oh, great to hear you too, Joe. You always, always bring back the old days to me. We need to get together for a week, go through it all again. Uh, <laughs> go golfing in Phoenix in January? <laughs> I'm not much of a golfer, but I'm pretty good at PS, Joe. <laughs> I don't know if that's a sport or not. Anyway, Joe, yeah. somewhere here, I see a macro picture of all this. And, you know, basically, and I understand the intro in there because I studied transportation law college. So I'm very comfortable with all that. I do see a lot of sides of the issue here. But, Joe, uh, somewhere in here, what I am very, very concerned about is the preemption of state labor. And, you know, there is no answer. We've contacted attorneys. Oh, I took that position. See, when you come in with a statement preempted of labor laws, I see the possibility here somewhere for us interstate drivers of almost ending up like federalized orphans because they aren't saying what labor laws 
then in different states, your OSHA falls under labor law, your uh, workers' comp falls under labor law, your unemployment falls under labor laws. So this view that the ATA is taking of taking like a, a total-like preemption concerns me a lot, Joe. We could end up, if this hasn't been researched thoroughly enough, and even then with attorneys, you know, doing their part of the economy too. See, I believe a lot of these uh, old issues, for instance, uh, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, is how come we aren't hearing anything, or I haven't at least, from the LTL carriers? Their line drivers run across state lines. They run teams even. And we've never had that problem. My, my thoughts are, Joe, we both know what happened to the pain. We both know why. Okay? I could see it all that. But at one time, Joe, we were paid so very, very, very well at this business that the, the, the drivers didn't have to go in and dig in every little hole to find a leftover dime I'm trying to survive. And I think this is part of it. I think this, them bringing the attorneys into it, is the only way the drivers have now have, the only chance they have, is to retaliate to gain back their wages and work conditions. Well, well Jerry, one of the things I would just uh, throw out at you is, as you well know, I did truck for 29 years. And in the workup to the, um, you know, we, we have had so many changes, as everybody who's listening knows, in hours of service, uh, federal hours of service. And in the workup to change number six, whatever, you know, I forget which which uh, iteration of hours of service it was. I was at a uh, listening session in Louisville, Kentucky, a number of years ago. And what one driver after another said to FMCSA was give us flexibility, give us flexibility in hours of service. And I will tell you what kind of stuns me when when I hear uh, drivers now apparently saying that they want to comply with individual state uh, rules, is where does that fit in with the idea of flexibility? What, there is no way, as a driver, I would have ever wanted a state to put me in a straitjacket where I had to comply with their individual rules if I was traversing their state and I was a citizen I, of that state. I'd like well, to ask well, all of you, how, how is that, though? I mean, what rule? The only rule I see is that they're getting paid for their detention time. I think the flexibility, uh, the drivers, and tell me if I'm wrong, you, you three guys are, are, are truck drivers. Um, the flexibility that that they were discussing, I think, was with the hours of service. Am I correct with that? Well, here's the way I see the flexibility thing. The flexibility, get this, published article, Joe, you may have read it. Uh, In fact, uh, no, it was in Velocity Magazine. 40% of all the loads have to be rescheduled. Another 20 or 30% of that 40% has to be rescheduled. Another percentage of that percentage has to be rescheduled. The supply chain people were complaining about the cost of all this. So obviously the evidence is there. At least half the freight is moving. Somebody doesn't even know how to schedule it. 
So the driver's put in a position where he didn't get there and he ran out of hours. They should have been known long before the load was even put together. Then a lot of drivers are going to get upset at me and throw darts at my picture on the wall now. How much more flexibility? The more flexibility we have, the lower our pay goes. For instance, many, many years ago, under the first ICC Act, the law book, you can only work 60 hours in seven days. So to get more flexibility, we can wait the 70 hours in eight days. Then the 34-hour restart. The 34-hour restart turns a 70-hour eight-day week into an 85- or 90-hour work week. Then we went in, what else? There's something else I'm forgetting here. You know, the more flexibility we have, the deeper we dig our hole. So the whole flexibility thing is a lot to do with poor planning before it even gets to the driver. And then many of today's new drivers, I feel sorry for them, don't know the first thing about really sitting down and planning the trip. So when they get in trouble and something goes wrong, ah, it's flexibility. I should have been able to drive 15 hours that day to make the trip because 11 hours didn't do it. Where does it end? And by the way, the more hours we work, the law of supply and demand will always prevail. The more we're available to the marketplace, i.e., the more hours we work, the less we're worth. I'm going to just interrupt because we've got a bunch of people coming on the line, and I just want to remind them. Hey, everybody listening, we really do appreciate you on here. I see who's who's on the line, who's called in. I can't see who's listening through the Internet. Uh, but for everybody, um, if you're on the Internet and you want to join in this conversation, uh, dial in 347-826-9170, and then click 1 on your keypad. And what that does is it notifies us that you want to uh, be a part of the show. Uh, and for all the ones that uh, have already called in and are listening to the show and you want to, you know, jump into this conversation, um, just click one on your keypad and that will bring you up. Okay. I, uh, I'm sorry if, to interrupt you guys. If I may. Guys, but... Yes, go ahead, If, if I Joe, may. Wait, 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 Let's back up a minute. Joe, Joe, I would like to go back to what do we do about how deeply, widely, or broadly – the exemption from each state labor law. Where does it end? We don't even know. That needs to be studied. Because we don't know how that could be interpreted once it breaks out here. I mean, I had a trouble right in Tennessee here. I called Tennessee one time on something going on. A lady said, do you work all of your hours in Tennessee? I says, no, I cross state lines. She said, we can't help you. She said, don't you have a union? That's not anymore. So right there are already somewhat orphans. Now, if we get a legalized interpretation that were preempted from all state labor laws, all, how big is all, Joe? Well, when it comes to interstate trucking, Jerry, I'm gonna I'm gonna really disagree with you. When it comes to interstate trucking, I do fundamentally, and so does this association, believe that states need to be preempted from regulating the hours of service. Of truck drivers. Of Whoa, stop. Whoa, stop. They're not. California they're not, uh, has their own. California, Texas, they have their own intrastate hours of service. California has a 12 hour drive time within a 16 hour window with an 80 hour and 8 day work limit. 
of this F4A preemption, is it going to go both ways? Are we going to take away the state's rights to have their own hours of service? If you That's read, an unle- if unlevel you read, fl- playing field for me. I can't compete for, against these guys that have all this time on, you know, to work. I can't work that many hours. Well, that's if you're competing in intrastate commerce. If you noticed, uh, Fritz, I did say interstate. So, uh, right, state, Joe, let me ask this question while you're on that. Because this does happen. In fact, I used to have the old, uh, what was it, California, the, the PUC number there. Right, I'm an interstate driver. Same thing happens in New York State. New York State, your logbook is ruled is run by labor laws. You run between two points, origin, destination. You're right. When load comes to rest, is an intrastate load. Okay, what happens when I deliver load in Buffalo, New York? I don't need PUC authority anymore, so I pick up a load in Buffalo, New York, and go to Albany. Go to Albany, New York, or I pick up a load to San Diego to go to Sacramento. Now, all of a sudden, I'm open to, I don't, I could be ignored of the exemption because for that day and that trip, I'm an intrastate driver. Actually, Jerry, actually, there's federal, there's in federal regulation, Jerry, it's very, very clear in Part 395. If you are an interstate driver, and you want to switch to intrastate, you can do it. 34-hour restart, for instance, doesn't do it. You stay no. when you come off of doing uh, a, a interstate run and you want to flip to more, uh, weird term to use here, liberal uh, state hours of service rules, because Fritz is exactly right. California's intrastate hours of service rules um, are much more um, uh, there's much more hours available than under federal. It is uh, uh, 80 hours in eight days, and you can drive 12 uh, 12 hours in a day. But here's the but thing: Joe, in, that, in Part 395. Let, let him finish. Part 395. It, it, yeah. It's really important, Jerry. In Part 395, that is. It flat out says that when you come off and uh, when you want to switch over. You got to wait. Believe it or not, it's 15 days. You stay under the authority of the Secretary of Transportation. That's the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. You've got to log federal hours of service. You can't just aware of that. But when we go to yeah. the labor law side of this, if you're injured, we're going to workers' comp. Remember, nobody is saying that we're only talking about pay. Nobody's except workers' comp and all the other things that are commonly found in each state. They're asking for a blanket exemption of all labor laws. But now if I'm operating within the state of California, we're not talking law rules anymore. We're talking labor law. See, here, Actually, part... that's, my, that's, that's my big argument with this. It's too broadly based. We need to go back and narrow it down only for the purpose of pay. needs to be in there or something like that. When we well, exempt they had somebody that in the from all labor law, it doesn't say um, all labor law. It does not say that. Yeah. It does not say all labor well, law. Well, Joe's right. Now, when I would flip back and forth, enter to intra in the state of Texas, I had to wait seven days before I could make that flip. They might have changed the ruling since then. Uh, you know, I can see Joe's right. I feel like Joe's pretty doggone accurate there. Um so far as Part A of the Denham language, which is exactly the same as uh, Section 134, it in stipulates 
All in the drivers working. Yeah, work, well, yeah, right, in Sudville, 5394. All right. drivers operating under Part 395. So that includes intrastate drivers as well. Are intrastate drivers no longer going to receive their meal and rest breaks as they do now? Are intrastate drivers going to lose their detention pay as they get now? This is rather that, that broad, you know, worded. Boy. Fritz, that's, that, that reference to Part 395 is a reference to exactly what's in the Fair Labor Standards Act, is that those drivers who, whose hours of service are regulated by the Secretary of Transportation. It, 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 that's exactly what that reference is. It's the same exact language. You know, I, you know I'm going to probably open up a little can of worms here uh, when I say wow. what I'm going to say. I, I actually get kind of a kick out of what I consider to be uh, a lot of quibbling about about 10-minute breaks and whether you're going to get paid for a 30-minute break or not when the central issue, to me, it's very distracting to what's a bigger issue in trucking, and it's the Fair Labor Standards Act exemption. It's been in there since the 30s. Yeah, from question overtime. 16. From Correct. overtime. And, and, I can bring that up. Uh, I, uh, I'm not even going to sit here and say I'm agnostic on that. I'm not agnostic on that. I think that, uh, as I mentioned, intrastate drivers uh, are paid federal overtime. It's priced into the supply chain. It already is. So uh, you have the majority of actually operators of commercial motor vehicles in this country are, are actually getting paid federal overtime. Now, the others who get paid, and Jerry will know more about this, of course, uh, uh, Teamsters are pretty good at negotiating contracts for their guys in terms of pay. Um, yeah. I'll, let Jerry, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let Jerry talk about that. But, um, you know, one of the things that was fascinating to me is from 2008 to 2010, the Democrats controlled all three branches of government in Washington. If ever there was going to be a time that there was going to be legislation run that would lift that exemption from the Fair Labor Standards Act. That was arguably the most favorable uh, period of time politically. It's certainly not going to happen in a Republican-controlled environment. And Actually, yet, I think we was... can work with the no overtime clause. I think we can work you know, to the advantage of the carriers and the drivers if we don't even go there. Um, but, but here I'm reading this right here. Um, actually, it stipulates Part 395 of Title 49, Seven Code Federal Regulations. It, it doesn't. I mean, that's pretty broad, Joe. You know, when that's I was working in, in trust state. Well, okay, exactly. This is in reference to um, um, the wording in Section 134. It doesn't say under the, the uh, Department of Transportation or whatever you said a minute ago. Um, Secretary it's, it's very broad, Secretary of Transportation. That's not listed here. Well, I think None you of the know, all related states. activities regulated under, uh, including any related activities regulated under Part 395 of Title 49, Seven Code of Federal Regulations. Federal government only has the right to regulate interstate trucking. Only the, the only area where there's an exemption to that is when it comes to hazardous materials and quantities under 26,000 pounds. The federal government cannot regulate intrastate trucking operations. 
in the United States. You know, I sat in the U.S. Supreme Court. I sat in the U.S. Supreme Court in the ATA v. Los Angeles case, which, uh, you know, without going all into that, one of the things, one of the takeaways that was really fascinating uh, to me and my executive director as we sat in there and listened to the oral arguments, and that was, a, that was where they were trying to ban owner-operators from accessing the Port of Los Angeles. And none other than Justice Clarence Thomas, um, which is what I'm about to say really stunned me, he, um, you know, there was a lot of F4A arguments being made. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas clearly believed that the federal government has no business stepping into telling a state how to regulate its intrastate markets. Um, there are many of us. Pardon? I think I agree yeah. with him, and, and you can't get any more conservative than Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Well, what was, you know, what led to conversation afterwards is, you know, this demonization of employers and motor carriers, um, you know, to me, frankly, it's sickening. It's really sickening. Are there bad actors? Absolutely, there are bad actors. But this across-the-board demonization, to me, is a joke. The fact of the matter is, you have none other than Clarence Thomas saying something that many people agree with, that the federal government had no right telling the California Public Utilities Commission it could no longer regulate trucking operations or the Texas Railroad Commission could no longer regulate. The irony is we all sit, are sitting here, you, anybody who's listening right now, you're paying more for health insurance because the interstate markets aren't deregulated. So somehow it's okay to tell trucking you can't be, regulate, regu, you know, be regulated by the state and limit access to the market. Hey, there's a lot of people who believe, let's go back to the PUC days. That's a whole whole other conversation, though, obviously. Yes. Well, I have yes, a question. We've got to work with what we have. I have a question yeah. for all three of you. And I think the question is, because the way I see this um, FRA preemption that they want to introduce into uh, the THUD bill, H, uh, H.R. 5394, Section 134, is really all about not wanting to pay. I think the meal and rest break is a huge smokescreen, okay? And the truth yes. is the 30 to 40 hours a week that drivers put in extra time, they don't want to pay for it because under Florida, uh, Florida, under California law, they do. And, and that's regardless if they log off-duty or um or um, what is the other one, Pat, uh, on duty not driving, right? Yeah, right. Either way. Either way, they're going to get paid. And with the ELDs, they'll be able to track if you're sitting at the shipper for, for 14 hours. So regardless if you're trying to save your hours, you know, logging off duty, you can still claim it, although it is more difficult. Um, so to me, and, and it's, I want it's to only if you what could we just answer this. More... Okay. This is about a door that drivers have been wanting to open for a long time, to be paid for all time. And it was opened because their cents per mile was no longer compensating for the extra time that they put in. And this is a way 
to make up for that. Um, this would put an end, if this bill is passed, this will put an end, just as the FLSA has put an end to overtime exemption, uh, has, has, I mean, has allowed overtime exemption for truck drivers. This would do the same thing as far as detention time and all. Meal and rest break, I think that's just a big smokescreen for this whole thing. Now, Donna, can I say something about that? Yes, please. You know do. that is that is uh, that what you just said. You know, I hear I hear a lot of people say that they think that this is um, going to end any ability of drivers to be compensated for detention time, et cetera. And you know, I don't I don't agree with that whatsoever. Denim Part B simply states that the states could no longer involve themselves in the compensation methods to drivers. And one of the things that this is meant to do is to shut down the stream of lawyers who are going after employers and and claiming, for instance, in the Walmart case. Everybody out there knows those Walmart drivers have the best-paying private sector uh, job in the country. I mean, it's a good job, very good job. They're not out there trying to find two nickels to rub together. And what happened in the Walmart case is uniquely under California law, uh, for you know, and I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, bottom line time, you know, you, you, you do your pre-trip inspection. Well, you know, when you're paid by the mile, you're not compensated directly for bottom line time. So there was no direct comp- compensation for that bottom line time. But overall, when the compensation to the driver was factored in, uh, these were not people working for minimum wage, even at, you know, L.A.'s minimum wage of $15 an hour. They were significantly over that based on an averaging, an averaging that used to be allowed. What's happened out here in California is things that used to be allowed for motor carriers, the law has changed. The interpretation in the courts has changed. And it's exposed everybody to tremendous liability. That is intrinsically unfair, even to employers who have always played by the rules. Joe, when they change the speed limit, when they change the speed limit, it's my responsibility to know that the speed limit's been changed. When the laws no, no, change, you're missing the point. it's that's the employer's not, not responsibility happened. to know that the law. Let me bring this up. Hang on. I'm reading straight from 226.2. Employees shall be compensated for rest and recovery, rest and recovery periods, and other non-productive time separate from any piece rate compensation. It goes yep. on to say about the two accountings and the two check. And like I say, this is um, section 226.2. I guess it's uh, uh, a that's, paragraph that's one and two. Code. So, and California this went into paycheck protect 2012. California Paycheck Protection Act doesn't require two checks. It requires separate accounting in how the check is itemized. It's an itemization right. of the check right. is what so it is. So it has to be separate on on one check. It can okay, be well, one check, separate piece right. separate yeah. accounting. Okay. I'll buy that. Right, you like can the, add them both on the one check, but you still have two accountings is my point. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to okay, you know. back to uh, Joe, the, the bigger picture of where the denim can take us. Now, you know in your old Teamster days at Schneider, the drivers got paid for all their time, loading, unloading. 
we didn't have all these problems. Nobody looked under the rock to be paid for every single thing. You had to know somebody to get hired on to those jobs. Compensation fell off. Piecework is clearly identified in Part B. Joe, I'm going to introduce something here, typically, truckload industry, because remember, we don't hear from LTL drivers on this, and we don't even hear from the LTL companies. And they still, one's doing just as well as the other, or just as bad. Okay? Why is it just in the truckload? The piecework thing. That will restrict us. And that is the state. They're trying to turn uh, state laws. This, this is the way the APA wants it in a macro sense. Uh, what Donna says is, yes, carriers could voluntarily pay time and a half, but we know they aren't. They're going to pay as little as possible. Okay, that's the way the business is. But now, here's a corner that the ATA truckload is backing themselves into. Believe me, the shipper and consignees, the supply chain people, are watching us very closely. Every month they have a whole article about what's going in the freight business and this, that, and everything, and even the supply chain magazines, which I heard. When the shippers and consignees, supply chain, find out that by law, federal law, the only thing a carrier must compensate their drivers for is their piecework. Now, you represent a carrier, Joe. You're a salesman. You've come to me. So we're talking about doing business. And you get to the point where we're going to start talking about detention time. I'm one of the fat cats in the supply chain industry. I'm going to look at you and say, wait a minute. Why do you need detention? Well, our drivers are expecting it. We've got to treat them for all. Don't even talk to me about it anymore, Joe. There is a law that now says you do not have to pay them for anything but their miles. So we will no longer even talk about detention. Well, the truckload well, carriers haven't seen this coming. We have now given the supply chain people, and you even wrote in your in a very good one. I read it, Joe. Your uh, testimony before the House Transportation Committee. Ooh, that was good. I'm impressed, Joe. But you put in there the inefficiency of uncompensated driver time is a drag on the whole supply chain efficiency. If this were to pass, with only piece work miles, we now put all the power in the hands of the shippers and consignees where the real problem really lies. Nobody's You're presuming that, something. You're presuming something that's not present in the denim language. You're presuming that it's a prohibition from from paying and compensating a driver for his time. That's not well, they don't have to. It's, Let's it's not in there. If they, hold on here, Pat. If they don't have to, they won't. I deal with my own loads, just like Donna says. If there are honorable carriers out here, I'm willing to bet that would love to pay their drivers time and a half for the hours over such and such. The local people, why can't they? Because the bottom feeders are out here always doing this, Joe. I'm not assuming anything. Supply chain management will use that to whack our heads off. Because it does say, You'll only be comp or piecework compensation. The and by the way, it isn't even what is legally determined many times is the interpretation out in the field. Yes, it may well say that this is the only thing you have, uh, the 
piecework compensation is the only thing a driver is legally entitled to. We've both said it to counter at the truck stop jail. The way that will come down is the carriers legally no longer have to pay their drivers. The position of slide supply chain management will be, let's not even talk about detention anymore. You don't have to pay those drivers. I, I actually totally disagree with you. The entire intent of Denim B is precisely to stop these trial attorneys. You know, there's a bunch of drivers who think there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow here. Uh, if, uh, for instance, uh, all other states got to adopt what California does. There isn't a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's not going to be a big jump in your weekly check. One of the things that one of our members is doing to protect themselves from litigation, because it's the litigation that's driving this. He pays all of his uh, specialty heavy haul operators, did pay them percentage. It was a pretty good deal. Why shouldn't a driver who is very productive make more than another driver? Jerry, I live well, many, in the union many drivers. We all got productive. paid. We all got that, paid the same, Jerry. We all got yeah. paid the same you regardless know of how hard we worked. And well, what this carrier minute, is doing... What this carrier is doing, if I could just finish here a second, is they're moving everyone now to hourly. You're getting exactly what you want. Everybody's being moved to hourly. And what is happening is they use a computation method. They go, okay, the average guy made X amount of dollars last year. What's that work out to an hourly based on his hours? There's no jackpot there. It's just a computation. They're, 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 you're playing an accounting numbers game. There's not a jackpot there for anybody. Okay, Joe, I'm going to throw something out. I'm going to yeah. interject for one second, guys. Uh, we got to take a break. We've got to get our sponsors okay. in. Um, so right. <laughs> hold on, everybody. We'll be right back. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website site truckerlawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, you're with Ask, Ask the Trucker Live. I'm Donna Smith, and our host um, uh, tonight, Alan Smith, is uh, away for the weekend, uh, but I'm filling in, and our guest is Joe Rockovich of the Western States Trucking Association. Uh, we also have Jerry Fritz and Pat Hockaday on here tonight um, as driver advocates uh, in, in the industry. And we've got a great discussion going on about the um, F4A, that's the Federal Aviation Administration Authorization Act of 1994, and how, if included in the up-and-coming FUD bill, it would affect driver wages, driver uh, being able to be paid detention time and uh, all non-productive work time meaning non-driving time, I'm pretty sure that's what that means. So uh, anyway, welcome back, everybody. Um, and now for everybody who's hanging on, and I see you, and I see I see one in particular, um, if you want to raise your hand, just click one on your keypad, and that goes for everybody. Um, if, if, you, if you hear at any time something you want to jump in, just click one on your keypad. And for those listening on the Internet, uh, just dial in 347-826. Uh, 9170. Um, I just got a message in here now, so I'm going to read and see if it's something I'm supposed to. Okay. No, that's okay. All right, Joe. Um, welcome back. We're back. Pat, Jerry, where were we? Joe, I'd like I'd like to take this maybe. Let's brainstorm somewhere. First of all, I'd like to respond to that. Yeah, I was a teamster. And I'm about to say something. I'll get myself in trouble. Joe, you and I are cut from the same cloth. When you say the productivity, I was one of the highs. I was number seven in the whole country in interstate motor freight, the only one east of the Mississippi that was doing certain things. Uh, a lot of the productivity, by the way, is controlled by the dispatcher, not necessarily the desire or the willingness or the ableness of the driver. How do I know that? Yeah, I was the one that used to, even in those days, I know I had a cheat and lie and this, that, and the other thing, the logbooks. I could really impress dispatch, and I was well taken care of, by the way. So I've been in that group, but I saw others that even, but here's where I'd like to go, just get that out there. And, you know, the productivity is not necessarily the desire, the willingness of the driver. It's controlled, too. But if you do a lot of things, you'll gain the favor of dispatch, and I used to do that. In fact, Joe, one of my problems on the old union jobs was I always had union drivers filing grievances on me for working too hard. That happened a lot. So here we go. Joe, we know this, with the restricting us to or the uh, limiting us to only piecework, that does have the potential. I know. I negotiate my own rates all the time. I've got my own authority. So that puts somebody else in a power position again. I'm going to open up a door, whole new maybe, underline maybe. Let's throw it out for discussion. Okay, through the denim effort now, it's opened the door. It's kind of proven to legislators and the government, wow, these drivers live a unique lifestyle. These drivers have a whole different way of earning a living than the normal person does. So probably we do need long-term protective availability, the viability of the supply chain by having truck drivers available, mainly how much you're going to earn, that instead of going this way, 
and this would take the bottom figures out, Joe. You and I know they're there. There are many good employers out here today in trucking that want to pay their employers more, but they can't because of the bottom feeders. They're always somewhere behind the scene doing something illegal, playing their own games, exploiting the drivers, all that stuff. So we're held down by the lowest common denominator. Why don't we have this door open that we look at coming in and saying, hey, wait a minute, we're going to set something up new here. Leave it open to the marketplace. Pat somewhat disagrees with that, but I love Pat too. We'll leave it open to the marketplace to determine the value that simply drivers be paid for all of their time in the service of the employer. That takes the negative effects of the bottom feeders out of the business. Now we've created a whole new structure. Leave it open to the marketplace to determine the value. So that takes the bottom feeders away from dragging the industry down all the time. We get it back to somewhat of a level, decent playing field. Or could, again, just as you and I enjoyed in the old days, a decent, proud profession. So you're saying an alternative to the F4A preemption then? I mean, is this, you know, just pay drivers yeah, we, for all we, time and forget about right, the preemption see, and, and, uh, right. and then nobody's going to be complaining anymore. Now, some of the it's called portal. I it's called portal to portal pay. All right. Now, I know I'm an over-the-road driver. I'm an over-the-road driver. I, I leave joke. my house. I go to work. I come home three months later, I am off work. I'm at work the entire time I'm in that truck. The federal hours of service regulate me as such. My 10 hours does not belong to me. It belongs to the carrier. The carrier is responsible for making sure that I follow the FMCSRs. I had this discussion wow. with a very high-ranking DOT guy. Um, you know what? If my 10 hours belongs to me, give it back to me so I can be driving down the road making money because that's what I'm out there for. I'm at work to make money. Well, if they gave me that 10 hours back, it shoots the hours of service fall apart. We can't have that. Then we have overcapacity. We have unlimited working hours. The hours of service provide us a degree of protection here. What's killing us is these uh, – well, I'm, I'm trying to not call names anymore, okay? What's killing us is the trendsetters, those that set the trends, those that are paying 20 cents a mile who are not paying detention pay. I have to compete against those drivers. I want the company drivers to get detention pay because that makes me able to charge detention pay. I can't charge it if they're not paying it to anybody else. If, if, if the employee driver is only worth $3 an hour, I can't get the $10 an hour that I'm deserving of. It's hard to do. The standard, the labor rate, baseline labor rate per Part B is 14 dollars cents a mile. There is something drastically wrong with that. Seven twenty-five an hour divided by fifty miles an hour. Fourteen and a half cents a mile. Where are you coming up with it, Pat? Yeah. 
He's well, I just said it. 50, 50 miles an hour divided, excuse me, 725 divided by 50 miles an hour is 14 and a half cents a mile. So it's right there yeah, in who's that Who's paying 14 program. and a half cents a mile today? Oh, no, got anybody he, he, that's well, any the, good. The market, the market, the market has lifted the wages above that. But the baseline minimum is approximately 14 and a half cents a mile. There lies our problem. Jerry uh, that, challenged say, Joe, me. Pat, give me. Give me a second here, Pat. That's why I'm saying. Let me go back to this now. Pat has a formula. He's very passionate about it. We argue about it a lot, Joe. He and I both. We hang up on each other on it over. Uh, but in the end, now that we have this door open, now, some of this stuff the attorneys are after, Joe, yeah, some of the employers, the carriers, or whatever, are going to have to pay for the sins of the past. We see some of the big cases come up now. We know the drivers have been exploited and so on and so forth. Yeah, they walk right into it because they didn't know like you and I. But where I see an opportunity here, instead of leaving the door open, for the powerful dynamics of the lowest common denominators in the business. Let's see if we could work through the federal government somehow. And, you know, I'm open to this. You could tell Pat is, but it's open to a discussion. Let's see if we can't turn this denim thing in. To, all right, we're a unique business. We have a unique job, unique hours, so on and so forth. We should have a unique pay system. Just like this is this what I've been saying for years, now, hold Jerry? on here a second, Pat. Yeah, hold on here a second, Pat. So let's leave this open door, and, and, and let's look at maybe a new light here. We're simply put, how we get there, what we do in step three and step four, that's even open for more discussion. But let's get it nailed down now, especially since we have the ELDs coming on which will be virtual time clocks that if a driver working under the Secretary of Transportation of Interstate Commerce be compensated for all of their time in the service of the employer. Now, there's a lot of corners we could go to there, but if we can get to the fundamental different opportunity, worded a different way, then the carriers, the, the honorable carriers, would have no problem because our real problem is the outlaws. You know, Joe, they've been there, and I know they've been there. They've been there even back in the old regulated days. They're the ones that really pulled the marketplace down. So the only way around that would be let's have a unique group. Anybody that works under the auspices of the Secretary of Transportation driving a truck, number one, that's what we need to get down to first. And we go to all the other things Pat talked talk about, many other corners. But if we could get the discussion turned to, simply put, a driver is paid for all hours in the service, even non-productive time, because a driver's non-productive time is not always his fault. You're, you're never going to get me. There's a case out here, and you guys both know about it, uh, you know, because you were alluding to it, and I consider it to be beyond obscene. It's a Walmart case where $45 million Walmart has to pay to their drivers because they had to sleep in the bunks of their truck for 10 hours. You know, 
in 30, nearly 30 years of trucking, I never, ever held the motor carrier responsible for me having to comply with safety regulations and take time off. That was a choice I made to be on the road. Now, right, today, so do you know where that, that people... You know where that came, I know personally where that you know, came from. That... Walmart, Walmart, Walmart voluntarily went to that. And this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. It had to do with a wreck on the main turnpike one night. Many years ago, Walmart was doing the, we were all fudged in the logs and stuff like that. We didn't even in those days. He fell asleep at the wheel and there were four teenage boys killed. When they went back in and started digging out what happened, the driver hadn't had his rest. He hadn't been in bed in quite a while. Walmart voluntarily went to, and many of the old private carriers gave the driver a choice. I'll give the exact number. You can take $7 in pay and sleep in the truck or go to a motel. Well, Walmart went to that, paid the drivers for the rest, because then they could prove to the courts that he did take his regulated break. That's where it came. And I agree with you, by the way. That wouldn't. I agree with you that you and I are in the same book there. We're on the road. We decided to be drivers. We knew we were going to have to sleep away from home. But in the meantime, that's where that came from. And it is too bad that that blew up in the face of Walmart. But there was a big, big reason for it. Yeah, but that, that, the specter of that case, it's what I said earlier. These large entities like that gender very little empathy from drivers. Sure. I kind of get that. I actually kind of get that. But the problem is... When a Walmart who has the deep pockets and, okay, they, they, they pay the $45 million, what's not seen is then once you have that legal precedence happen, what's not seen mm-hmm. is how they go down the supply chain to your mom and pops, who are real good, real, real good companies. Everybody knows some of the best money you make in this industry. It's not with typically the big, uh, big fleets. I was with big fleets. Best money I made in my life was always with the smaller fleets, you know, 50, 60 trucks. That's where you that's where you tend to have a lot of dedication from you're dealing actually with a company owner who built it up from the ground themselves. Yeah. These people constitute those types of people constitute the bulk work of our members and literally last week another phone call. Nineteen nineteen trucks up in Sacramento. Joe, we just paid a quarter million dollars to make this case go away. We're done. Everybody's gonna be unemployed. Congratulations. So Joe, even the- even the empathy thing, we can go there back and forth where there's all ends up. No, but there's there's not much empathy in the big carriers for the drivers. Look at the Swift case now, about 50,000 drivers. No, Warner, 50,000 drivers. England, we know of at least 14,000 for misclassification of employment. goes on and on, Joe. We've got to find some kind of meeting ground. In a way, it sounds strange, because I didn't get along with it. Remember, I'm always being brought up on charges. They loosen them wheel lugs in my car and a whole bunch of stuff. The old union thing. But at least you had some type of collective discussion going on. Now, well, what hey, we're hey, the old unions is with the attorney. You know the what? attorneys have replaced the union. <laughs> Jerry, there's been, you know, look, you and I both work union in our life. I don't hate the Teamsters, but I will tell you something I know for a fact. The Teamsters hate owner-operators, and one of the reasons I certainly won't break bread with them. Right now we're dealing with a law right here in California. 
Teamster-inspired lawsuit in Sacramento that would ban owner-operators from every public works project in the state. Well, we've got um, to widen out. You know, they're, they're, the, they're the heart of the resistance out here. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's absurd beyond anything imaginable, but they'll probably be successful in this. The assault on owner-operators and independent contractors, I'm an this owner is operator. ground zero out here. This is ground zero in that assault. I'm an owner-operator. I own my equipment. The assault, the unions are against these guys that get into these lease purchase scams that are being ripped off by these lease purchase scams, and I can't help but agree with the unions. Look at what they're doing. They're they're driving the rates down. Everything about this lease purchase stuff is detrimental to the industry overall. It's another way to get something for nothing. Fritz, you might be surprised to know that this association uniquely is a trucking association of trucking companies. As, as was said early, over 40% of our members are one-truck motor carriers. This association's official position is lease purchasing is willful misclassification of the driver. There are very few other associations that will come out and say that. We put it in print. What's going on in this state has what goes on in this state has nothing to do anymore with what was going on down at the ports of Los Angeles a decade ago. This is a direct frontal assault to owner operators with their own operating authority. They're actually motor carriers. Joe, I stand up and applaud you and your organization for standing against that misclassification and the lease purchase thing. That's another one of the bottom feeder groups. Absolutely. And but you got to be careful on how you define. I over to the independent. I really can. There's a confusion there, not not a degree of separation between the lease operators who are being taken advantage of and the true independent. I, I understand that, Joe. But, you know, this is crazy. Why are we wanting to lower lower the standards through this F4A preemption, specifically Part 1. We keep talking about Part B. Part B is not even part of this yet, but Part A lowers the standards. It lowers the standards. Part A is meal and rest break requirements, and that, you know, we're we're kind of going back to kind of where we started. You know, we're going to agree to disagree. As somebody who actually did drive, just like you guys did, there's no way in, in on God's green earth that I want to be told by an individual state when I have to pull my truck over and comply with their requirements instead of uh, complying with federal requirements. Well, the owner and my answer to that is oh. part of the job. Following the rules of the job is the job. Hold like on it or second, leave guys. it. Everybody tells me if hey, you don't Pat? like the money, get out. Well, if you don't like the regulations, get out. That's the rules we have to play okay. by. Why Hello, don't all Pat? of the states, why, why doesn't the federal government uh, adopt, instead of having a ruling, uh, a F4A preemption bill that, that lowers the standards, why don't we bring the standards up to meet California standards? And then it's nationwide, and we don't <laughs> you, have to worry you, you about think, it. You think California is something to admire. There's many of us here that spit nails well, in terms of what I, this is. This, this, state, this state is a socialist worker's paradise. Pat, 
And, and you know what? You're not going to get people who are very politically conservative to ever go along with that kind of thinking. Only there the drivers are market-based that solutions. Only the drivers yeah, who there think are market-based solutions. And more importantly, in all of this, it's like missing the forest for the trees. If you really want to uplift drivers and level the playing field, then the efforts ought to be focused on eliminating the exemption from the Fair Labor Standards Act. I'm not a virgin. I disagree. I trucked for 30 years. That is the game changer right there. It is. It is. Hey, Joe. Uh, but in the meantime. How is it? And, and I don't know the answer to this, so it isn't believable. How are the LTL birds dealing with this? How are the what? How are the LTL carriers dealing with this meal break and respite problem? Because I don't hear it. If you actually read, and Jerry, I'm not saying this to, to be demeaning, yeah, but when, uh, you read, yeah. when you read the law, they're exempted from it. If you have a union contract, you're exempted from compliance. The unions take Fed, over Fed, in terms of regulating yeah. your own. FedEx, Conway, XPO, Psy, and all those others are not union, Joe. And only, they have been only, getting sued. Only, U, only UPS. And uh, YRC, and I think Reading out west, they're the only ones yeah. under union contract now. All the others are non-union I, I, I guess, Jerry, what I'm hearing you say, since you're bringing the union up constantly, what, everybody should be is better off being union? No, no. no. That... Remember, I said I fought with the union, Joe. They used to put me up on charges. No, no, no. Don't go there with me, because, by the way, I'm one of the ones who gets screwed out of my retirement, too. So wait a minute. You and I just hug each other on this. No, I asked a fair question. The LTL carriers are a major force. What? We haven't heard it. How do that? I mean, that's an honest question. If maybe the truckload people can learn how, specifically, the non-union truck uh, LTL carriers, how are they dealing with this? Because we aren't hearing anything from them. Well, they've paid out big bucks in settlements. They've paid out big bucks in settlements, and uh, for we for the violations, as, as you know. Pardon? Do you know that, or are you speculating, Joe? No, I know that. Uh, FedEx paid well, out in this state. FedEx paid out almost a quarter of a billion dollars to settle. Yeah, two hundred forty million, and that was misclassification of employment at uh, FedEx ground. That was not me. You're right. You're right. You're right. That was. Yeah. The, you're right. That yeah. that was the misclassification. No, no, wait, yeah. Deal and rest breaks did get pulled out of that, Joe. I'm a middle of the road guy here. I'm trying to solve the problem. Their meal and rest breaks did get dragged into that, but their ridiculous position. By the way, I live here in Memphis. They, I consider them as one of the bottom feeders. Because, Joe, they went out there and misclassified their employees to lower their costs to get market share while there are other honest employers out here, many in which you may represent honest employers trying to do the right thing. They deserve that $240 million. And remember, that even went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court agreed with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And by the way, that's going to hit them in a bunch of other states, too. But meal and restaurants oh, did get pulled into that. But, Joe, if they hadn't been seen for the misclassification of employment first, I'll bet 
much of her to have been nothing said. So no, honestly, oh, maybe oh, I, 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 yeah, I disagree yeah. with that because right. because okay. there's been uh, let's, Schneider. You can actually go, you can actually Google, uh, go into your server, Google on uh, on literally uh, California meal and rest break settlements, and you'll end up seeing a chart that comes up, and it's got yeah. <laughs> motor carrier after motor. Remember, Schneider's on there four times. Yeah. Remember, okay, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, enough, I'm bringing that back into. The, I'm going to bring up another oh. another topic into this, everybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not controversial. Uh, well, I'm hey, Joe, to bring when we it. get done, lunch is either going to be on you or lunch is going to be on me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I think we can all agree on. I'm trying to get something we all agree on here. And yeah. that is the shippers and receivers take advantage of drivers while they're waiting. And by the way, I just want to no, say no. that they, in this in this in the state of California, okay, owner operators, uh, th- those labor laws about rest breaks and meal breaks and all that, that is strictly for employee drivers, okay. That has nothing Correct. to do about the owner operators uh, working interstate or local, whatever it is in the state of California, okay. Those are employees only. Um, but get anyway, getting back to shippers and receivers holding up drivers, and whether you believe that it's the shipper's fault or the carrier's fault or what, who's ever fault doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that drivers put in, um, as Alan said in the beginning of the show on his recording, uh, between 20 and 40 hours a week, and I mean I've seen more than that, but we'll be conservative and say even 30, and just do the average. So. Does everybody here, and Joe, I'm going to ask you first, do you believe drivers should be paid for that time? Well, I'm not even hesitating because I'm actually thinking back. There's a bit of a trap to what you're, where you're going there, and I'm not going to jump at that. But I am I, I'm not say. trying to trap you. I'm just... Yeah. Well, look, I, the, the fact of the matter is, and uh, some people out there listening will be aware of this, um, you know, I was a named plaintiff against super value for violation of the lumping statutes. So when it comes to issues about abuse on the, bo- uh, uh, on, on the docks, um, you know, it absolutely happens. You're, you're specifically talking about uh, delays in time. And any time that's on duty time at the dock, even when I was driving, nothing torqued me off more than to spend, you know, pick X number of hours, two pallets to drop off at Walmart, and you're there for seven hours, and, and the suckers want you to pay 35 bucks to yank it off your trailer. Right. Um, I, yeah. You know, what I say, should I be compensated for that? Absolutely. I, okay. I've always believed that. Okay. Now, here's the thing. In a market-based economy, we can sit here. Everybody can sit here and say, yep, that's what should happen. How do you get there? Do you think the federal government's ever going to re-regulate, allow for re-regulation of trucking? There's a lot of people who think that's the way it should go. Um, obviously, that's a whole different conversation. I think it's a wasted conversation because I don't think Congress ever would go there. That's my personal belief. Um, I go back to, you know, uh, lifting uh, lifting the exemption under the Fair Labor Standards Act, and then I'm going to go someplace that's going to. I'm sure everybody here is going to agree with. Nobody will be upset by this. ELDs. Mm-hmm. 
I oppose electronic logging, but I also remember, you know, back in the 90s, a lot of us would run down the road, docking off channel, and we never heard of an ELD, electronic logbook. We called them black boxes. And a lot of our conversations were, boy, if the federal government ever mandated black boxes, that would do more for this industry than any strike ever would. Um, you know, as an association, uh, as an individual, uh, ELDs, I think, are, uh, you know, it's total, totally bogus to say they have anything to do with safety. But is that going to be some sort of game changer? And we've always heard about different game changers in our industry. When the CDL came out, when we all had chauffeurs and went to CDLs, boy, that was going to create a shortage and drive up driver wages. It never happened. We've had different times in in trucking history in the last 35 years where the newest and latest and greatest was going to cause a change. Do I think that the ELD mandate fully implemented is going to be a game changer economically, even for drivers? I think the first six to 12 months is going to be a bloodbath, and I think after that, water is going to find its own level. No way is somebody going to go into a Walmart with uh, two pallets and let them have 12 hours of their time. You won't be right. able to do it and survive. And that's a good thing. I don't disagree with you, Joe. I don't disagree. I've been looking I resent one. ELDs. I really resent <laughs> ELDs. But we've got to look at the positive side. It does allow for documentation, greatly much so. This is why a driver can get paid detention time in the state of California logged off duty. The ELD documents that they were there for four hours. They showed up at their appointment time. They left four hours later. The ELD documents that. Now, remember, 2012, we changed the, we changed the uh, hours of service, so to speak. It is now legal to log off duty while resting in a parked motor vehicle, provided you're relieved of all responsibility. As I understand it, when that shipper says, go wait in your truck, you have been relieved of responsibility, thereby enabling the driver to log off duty. And Rick Gobble just confirmed this the other morning for his opinion. I want to go back to the shippers and receivers. The employee driver doesn't work for the shipper or receiver. The employee driver works for the carrier. The carrier is responsible for paying the employee driver that detention time. It is up to the carrier to collect money from, in some form or fashion, from the shipper receiver, the person paying the bill. If this was across the board, then freight rates would go up to reflect that. They wouldn't be charging for detention pay. They would have it in their freight bill, part of the mileage, however they want to bill for, because the ELD provides enough information, enough documentation they know this shipper is going to consume this many hours they add it into the freight bill the freight rate and there we go it's going to it would eliminate billing for detention time specifically that's too difficult to do a thousand trucks yeah we can we can we can bring this all together so that it works for everybody if we reach for a higher standard that's all I'm suggesting. We are letting F4A preemption take us down a notch. 
It's taking yeah, us down. Com- that's that's my point on the lowest common denominator, Joe. Well, we've got this door open. I could build on PAP something. I know that you've heard it for the first time. All we need to do is change that word. That the driver be paid for all of his time, not just for half of his time. Then we've got this situation where, by law, they have to pay the driver. Now, that'll work into the marketplace. And I agree with you, Joe. I think I read on some years. In the end, I studied what they call logistics. In the end, when somebody gets presented a bill for all this detention time, the old rule in business college, labor versus capital. When the cost of labor gets too high, then industry invests in capital. In other words, they'll build extra or, or blocks. Or autonomous uh, trucks, right? Yeah. Well, not a, well we know. That's, that's two generations out. But let's stick with this. In the end, Joe, we aren't going to get paid $1,000 a week in detention because we'll have nearly no detention. We cannot get to nearly no detention until somebody has presented the bill except for the driver's family that doesn't show up in his paycheck. We have to get somehow. And by the way, they'll never credit us with it, but we'll have actually enhanced the efficiencies of the supply chain when we force the supply chain to make the investments to make it more efficient. They get away with the inefficiencies, like you stated, because of the fact that it's no cost to them. In the end, we're going to yep. hardly get anything on detention because the fact you sound be no detention. Jerry, you sound like the executive at a very large trucking company in the United States, and I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek because I'm going to tell you. Um, I was at a conference, and uh, the... You know, after the conference, everybody heads to the cocktail lounge and and, uh, lips get a little bit loose. And about 11 o'clock at night, I'm having a conversation with this individual who I'm very much involved in, uh, you know, mandating ELDs. And I flat out said, it's not about safety. You can't you can't spoon feed me that. And and by the way, the final rule, you know, clearly indicates it's not about safety. I mean, I'll be called cold and indifferent because they estimated they'll save 19 lives a year. Well, if anybody knows anything about me and what I think of government uh, junk science studies, well, mm-hmm. it says it all. But at any rate, uh, the admission came. Oh, we know it's not about safety. It's about leveling the playing field. It's about the economic equation that you're talking about. And, Joe, you're talking to the chief executive of American <laughs> Overland Freight, all one truck. <laughs> yes. I'm, I mean, really, ELD. I'm, not asking, I'm not asking you for an agreement. Think about what I'm yeah. saying. Instead of taking a low road of locking this in, and Joe, that's only going to exacerbate the problem. Because the I, pain I, you know, pay for it. Yeah. Jerry, the fixation on what California is doing, all I'm going to say about that, you know, I'm at ground zero here, and I'm actually, I sit here and go, wow, you know, imagine you got people around the country saying, hey, we want what California has. Well, you know what, when you allow California to uh, regulate, legislate ultra-nationally, they've already done that with the consequences that everybody hates. It's called the California Air Resources Board. 
Yeah, right, yep. Carl. Um, yeah, you know, do you, you're right. I agree with you. Do you really yeah. want to let what's going on in Sacramento be what makes decisions for this country? There's a lot of us that will go, hey, you're smoking some. If, if that's yep, where that's, you want to go. That's two different things, uh, Joe. That's yeah. But it's the same it thing. Is. It is the same thing. It's allowing California to set the national standard. It's identical in that respect. But they've had their well, laws for California, years. Okay, is this California's is California's labor, labor standard such a bad thing? Well, it is. Is paying drivers and paying drivers for their rest breaks such a bad thing? Nothing nothing in the Denim Amendment language prohibits the payment of detention pay. Everybody keeps saying that. It's not there. It's not there. Joe, that's the way to be interpreted when it gets to the the traffic manager's office. You know, what they pass in law and what happens out there in the field. If I'm a traffic manager, I just found out that drivers are forever and a day locked into just mileage pay. No assessorals, no detention time. When the when the salesman for that trucking company shows up, remember, I'm paid to get the lowest freight rate as possible for my boss. And if I've just found out that it sounds like, by law, a carrier is not required to pay the pay, I'm going to look at that. You don't have to pay it anymore. So why are you coming to me for it? it, it but in it California, does. if you read the denim in California, uh, go down. Okay, if you if you do read the paper on uh, Part A of the denim, and I know we we all have it all over the place and. I had it right in front of me. Okay, here it is, part I got A. got it in front of me now. Okay, a state political subdivision of a state or political authority of two or more states may not enact or enforce a law regulation or other provision having the force and effect of law prohibiting, uh, prohibiting employees whose hours of service are subject to regulation by the secretary under 31502 from working to the full extent permitted or at such times as permitted under such section, or imposing any additional obligations on motor carriers. If such employees were to, to the full extent, or at such times as permitted under such section, including any related activities under 395 of Article 49 Code of Regulations. So they're pretty much... Um, I mean, this is what didn't pass in the FAST Act, is, is what I just And that said. is the meal and rest break part. That's the part referring to meal and rest breaks. And now on Part B, now they go. They will be paid. Well, stop, stop. Meal and rest rate. breaks and That's non-productive right. time. No, 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 no. You're, look, Part A is all about meal and rest breaks. It's and non-productive it, time falls under that category. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not because they're saying that no state can tell you when to stop to take a break. That's what it's saying. That's all it says. No state can force right you to do that. Right here allows the carrier to not pay for non-productive time as required by California law. Non-productive time includes detention you, pay. You are reading into Part A now your own language. It's not there. 
No, I've talked to attorneys about Don, this. I'm, I'm doing my Donna best to relay what, what I've learned. But Donna just okay. read exactly verbatim. I've got it sitting up in front of me here, Part A. Part A is precisely to go after the issue of interstate motor carriers. Interstate motor carrier drivers in interstate commerce is another way to put it. But anyhow, any driver that's subjected to federal hours of service, that is saying a state can't tell you to take a break. But they, but they aren't, Joe. They don't have to take the break. They just get paid for it. That's, but, see, that's where you're wrong. That's not how it plays out. I know that narrative keeps being said. There is not a bunch of, uh, uh, I keep saying, a pot of gold, manna from heaven. When motor carriers are being sued by drivers alleging that they didn't make this time available for them, it's real simple where they go. You will take that break, and you will document that break, and we ain't paying you for that break. And by the way, I want to correct something that keeps being said, and I've heard this not just, uh, you know, this is the first time I've been on this show, but I've heard this said other places. They go, well, what's the big deal? The driver simply has to sign a waiver with the motor carrier, uh, you know, that's no, no, no. on-duty meal break. Well, hold on a second. That that's 2007 laws, Joe. The laws changed in 2012. You know, okay, I don't know what I'm talking about. I only deal with this every day of my life. That is a commodity-specific exemption. If you're hauling a load of toilet paper, you're going to be very. You're not going to have a chance of getting to take an on-duty break because that there's nothing about that commodity that is going to spoil if you don't take the break. If you have a load of wet cement, wow, you got a problem if you take the break. They don't have to take the break, um, Joe, really. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this. Uh, there's a discussion in Brinker about meal and rest break liability. Brinker, Brinker okay. <laughs> I found okay. that uh, uh, there's, if there's an, uh, the Brinker court explained in the context of rest breaks that employer liability attaches from adopting an unlawful policy. So uh, I'm showing you there's a lot of material here, and I don't want to bore everybody <laughs> with uh, You're going into Brinker, which pre Brinker precedes Diltz v. Penske. Brinker precedes it. And the reality is because of the scams being pulled by drivers, and the scam is company, and that's where Brinker's going. If the, the company didn't provide the time, and the driver alleges the company didn't. And there's no records because, you know, wow, you know, we're, we're providing you the time. The driver goes, gets a lawyer, and says, well, they never gave me time for the break, and the lawsuits happen. Hence, the reality is now drivers have to take the break. They have to take yeah, the break. They have to document it. But it's it, called it defensive medicine. It says the employer must only authorize and permit the rest areas uh, called for under the wage. Um, but they don't have to take. Accordingly, to assert a claim for missed meals or rest periods, an employee must show that he was forced. Okay, the the proof is on the employee. Okay, not the employer. He was forced to forgo, forgo his And that's that's why employers the, are now, and that's why employers are making people take it and document it. Because well, Joe, because it's well, the only way for them to protect themselves. Then then we just take the breaks. Unless we're under wet concrete, I don't know. 
We'll just learn how to take a break. So already told we got to take a half hour break. You have to take a 30-minute break yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, but that's not, it's not that easy. It is simply not that easy to just simply go, you got, yes, you have to take a half-hour break under federal rules before eight hours. But, uh, you know, let's let's use an example right now. You, you just spent, uh, well, actually using going over Donner and chaining up this time of year isn't a good example because that's going to take you all night anyhow. Um, but, Jake, you're making, yeah. you're making my back hurt, Joe. <laughs> yeah. But you, you leave a shipper, and now you're headed to try and make an appointment someplace else. Under federal rules, you're totally cool. You could wait till that, say, uh, you know, nearly the eight, you know, hour seven and a half in your day to take the break. But no, now you got to comply with the state law. You got to take the break, so you uh, you end up a half hour late at Wally World, and they say, "Hey, driver, we'll see you tomorrow." You know, or maybe it's next week because you showed up late for your appointment. This is the straitjacket I'm talking about. And by the way, Joe, the that's the present straight. That's a present straitjacket, even with a half hour rule. That's happened to me already. Yeah, it's happened, it's happened to all. It's happened to all of us. It's happened yeah. to all of so, us. And that when I talk flexibility, yeah. when I talk yeah. flexibility, I'm not talking about running up your hours to seventy or eighty a week. I'm talking about not being told what the heck to do in your day by the state. But Joe, what do we do about an employer? And I've had this happen. What do we do about an employer that calls driver? I want you at that wheel for ten damn hours today. I heard I've that I heard that said repeatedly in Louisville a yeah. few years ago. Yeah. And you know what? The fact that I laughed at it ought to tell you what I think of claims like that. Number one, if uh thirty years, no employer ever told me that. Ever. Any employer who would have, that probably very likely would have been my last day I worked for. If people are if employers treat somebody like that the employee needs to take some sort of ownership in their own life. Bottom line is, I don't believe that's prevalent. I believe those are uh, road stories. Hmm. Okay. Judging from the high well, turnover, I'm not going to go all the way there, there Joe. Yeah. With the very, you know very what? high turnover in the truckload business, not the LTL, in the truckload business, there is a reason that you've got 100% turnover, and it isn't because the drivers are so satisfied. They don't take personal ownership. They're, look, they're leaving. They're walking. Yeah, it's been there. It's been there for, for 25 years. The turnover issues have been there since <laughs> the early 90s. Yeah, yeah so they are and taking the ownership. They're walking away. Well, I have to okay. say, this, Joe, I don't know if you, you know, this is a pretty uh, pretty intense show. I I, I want to just, before we, <laughs> before we wind this all up, because it, I tell you, this time went by, like, really fast. I just want to read to you what OIDA says about the uh, F4A uh, exemption, uh, preemption. I'm sorry, preemption. Um, OIDA took issue with the provision's potential impact on driver pay, calling it an ambitious overreach that would limit the state's ability to allow for any other driver compensation except mileage pay. OIDA stands firmly opposed to this language. Further, OIDA said the language would unravel mandated fair pay for drivers and it w- would empower large carriers to further reduce driver wages. So, again, OIDA agrees that the language would eliminate any possibility uh, other than the compensation of piecework wages, uh, which they call it uh, mileage pay. 
it's just a you know it's a, a a difference of how we interpret things, but I think it would close the door uh for a lot of uh a lot of different things it would it would just kind of uh deflate a lot of the morale within the industry as they would just feel like well okay, I work a hundred hours a week, I guess I have to, and that's it. That's how I look at it, and that's how I know Alan looks at it um, by what he said before. But I'm going to let you know, Joe. I'm going to let about, you have the last. How about this, Donna? In what? reference to what you just said, we could level it off here, Joe. I think it's too much of a gamble not to have this more defined of what the unintended consequences could be if we favor it as it's written now. Too much of a gamble. Well, I would say that I already know what the unintended consequences are of a Ninth Circuit Court decision, and it's got to be fixed. And, uh, you know, is there a pretty good chance that's going to happen? Yep. And, um, you know, OIDA's statement, they can represent their views and, and their, uh, their members' views, certainly. Um, much like the ATA, the ATA is not always right. They're not always wrong. Same thing true there. I would disagree with the statement. Okay. All right. Well, so we I'll have the it. California Trucking Association that's already tried to alter state California state law on four different times, failed each time. Um, and so now to get our way, we're going to change laws so we can say ha ha ha. You don't have business running running things in your own state. State labor laws are designed to protect the worker. They're they're separate from federal motor carrier safety regulations. Okay, the, the, I understand the difficulty of having to take your thirty minute break in the first five hours instead of eight hours per federal law. But this can be worked around. Come on, driver, I need you to get there. Take, go, work through your meal break. I'm going to pay you an hour's wages for doing so. That's, That's a all small to investment to keep a customer happy. The, the, the rest breaks, that's a no-brainer. I'm getting paid my mileage pay, and I'm getting paid my rest break pay. Uh, you do not have to stop to collect your rest break pay. You're going to get paid that irregardless. <laughs> You're okay? thinking there's manna um, from heaven. Joe, I read the 2007, and with the written agreement, this, that, and the other, I went down that road before I realized. That is ours that you read. Well, I realized that after reading that, I was looking at old law. I then had to chase down the new law that went into effect in 2012. Are you familiar with the new law, 226.2? Because it's written differently. I spent a week doing what you're what you're talking about. I feel felt pretty close to what you're feeling. I'm not your enemy here. I think well, if never, we help I drivers, I think if we well, help drivers make a living, I, I don't think I, eliminating California's uh, rest break and meal break, which which includes, per my understanding, detention time. Taking lowering the standard for drivers does anything to help solve the problem of retention, 
of recruiting, our labor pool is running out, and it's running out because there ain't enough money in this job. Spend three weeks out to earn three days off. For what? 1500 bucks, 500 The carriers control the amount of production a driver is going to get. If a driver is unworthy, fire them. We have overcapacity problems because it is, it's easy to put five extra trucks out there. You don't have to pay the driver. You save so much on not paying the driver by paying them only mileage pay. You know, you can afford those five trucks sitting waiting out the broker. We need to eliminate this. One way, one way of doing this is by paying the driver a, by a different method, and that's all I'm suggesting. Well, I'll tell you, it's been a great show, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it has and, been. Uh, it has been a good show. Uh, um, I might hey, have, Joe, no, I, hey, Joe uh-huh. I got an idea. When I said earlier about who's paying for lunch, you or me, it's going to be Pat. Pat's yeah, All Pat's right, okay. I'm buying lunch for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, uh, Joe. Uh, I know we have differences, but... Well, we have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of things we agree on too, as far as and that's why I asked you about detention time because um, you know I knew you believed in that, so it wasn't a trick question. I just, I, I don't I'm really not sure what you meant by that, but anyway, uh, uh, we all agree that shippers and receivers they do take advantage, and it's up to the carrier to enforce it, and so uh, we. We all agree that ELDs can work for the good, but no one really, you know, is in favor of them, but we can use them uh, for the good of the industry. So there's a lot to agree on, too. Uh, F4A preemption, nope, we don't agree on it, but that's okay. Um, But thanks so much for coming on tonight. I mean, you just spent two hours uh, uh, on a Friday with us, and we're very grateful. Did you want to say any, um, you know, last thoughts or... How about, you know, a little bit about your website and how people can get a hold of you? Sure. Um, yeah, you can get a hold of us. Uh, well, phone number is 909-982-9898, and we're located out here in beautiful Upland, California, just a few miles from the truck stops in Ontario. Uh, websites, uh, w, uh, it's westtruck.org, uh, W-E-S-T-R-K.org, and we're up on Facebook, uh Western States Trucking Association. Oh, awesome. And when you go to westtruck.org, it only has the one. It's it's um, West T-R-U. Yeah, just one it. T. It's because it's weird. One. Yeah, well, it's all that was available at the time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. anyway, your link is in the show page. Oh, and the little Alrighty. lady telling me I've got 90 seconds left there because she's going to cut us off. Thanks so much, Joe. Um, here, this is for Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Hey, Joe, it's Jerry. It's <laughs> okay. I, I love doing that. Okay, mm-hmm. Pat, Jerry, thanks so much for coming on tonight and all the listeners on there now. Um Nobody raised their hands, guys, but that's okay. Uh, There was a lot of really uh, 
in-depth and controversial stuff going on tonight. We really appreciate it. So uh, I know we all have, you know, we usually have our little closing statement. We don't have time for a closing statement, guys. We're going to have to save that one for next time. So thanks so much for uh, coming on tonight. I had a special a special song. I wanted to play the, um, where is it, the Detention Time song. Okay, here it is. All right, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Be safe, guys. Be safe. Thank you, Joe. Sitting in the morning sun. I'll be sitting when the evening comes. <laughs> Watching other trucks roll in. Roll away again I've been back up to this dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time I left my home in Georgia Like nothing's gonna go my way I've been sitting at the dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time Looks like nothing's gonna change Dispatch on hold Lord you know that this shit's getting old <laughs> Two million miles I've roamed Just to make this truck my home I've been back to the dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day, just wasting time. Yeah, I'll hold it. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good night, Donna. Good job.